Hello and welcome. My name is Robin Marriott of Property EU, and I'm delighted to be hosting this second edition of the Urban Land Institute's Vanguard podcast series. The ULI brings together real estate and land experts from around the globe with a clear mission to shape the world via the built environment and have a transformative impact in neighbourhoods, cities and communities. And this podcast focuses on that future and that transformative impact. Now, the ULI Young Leaders Group recently selected 10 outstanding young professionals already making waves in the industry, calling them the new real estate vanguard. And I'm delighted to welcome one of them today, Laura Denenga, Investments Vice President of European Debt Origination at PGM Real Estate. What a mouthful that is, Laura. So (laughs) thank you for the title. Well done for getting through it. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, thank you so much for joining uh, us. And I'm very confident in saying that congratulations for being no doubt the first person born in Zimbabwe to feature in the ULI's Vanguard series. So I thought just for a change, maybe we can learn something a little bit as we expand our horizons. Zimbabwe, just tell us a little bit about your youth and what the country was like growing up in, etc, etc. Yeah, happy to. Um, And I should start by saying thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be, you know, amongst the the 10 selected this year um, to feature. Um, so I grew up in the capital city of Harare um, in a pretty big family, nine kids running oh, around. Wow. <laughs> so very big family. <clears throat> but as a former um, UK or English colony, I should say the academics in Zimbabwe and sort of growing up is quite similar to what you might have experienced here. So I did my GCSEs. I did my A-level just as anyone would have um, in, in the UK. Um, and I attended boarding school since I was about seven years old. That is not similar to my experience. No, no I went to a comprehensive <laughs> that sadly shut down. Oh, okay. It was a little bit out of control. You know, just think chairs out of windows, etc. Oh, okay. It was one of those. But then I did end up as a private school. So I've seen both sides. But, both sides but carry on. Um but yeah, I think you'd, you'd also asked about outside interests. So I was very active as well. Outside of school, I was involved in sort of music and theatre, but also played field hockey and ran track and field. Um, and it was the, the latter where I was more competitive uh, on, on the field hockey. And I um, was lucky enough to get a, a field hockey scholarship to the US. And that's how I wound up in America at Colgate University, where I went on to study economics. I know you're being slightly modest, I think, aren't you? Because when it comes to sport, did I? Someone told me that you represented <laughs> the country, did you not? At a certain youth group. So I come did. on, please. Don't, this is this is not the time to you know to, to be modest. <laughs> Tell us all about it. Fair enough. Well, I um I played under I think under sixteen and under eighteen for 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 Zimbabwe. So I toured with with the country. I think in under sixteen to the Netherlands actually. Oh so really? I, I yeah. Came out here and played at a tournament. We didn't do particularly well, but. <laughs> Still got the T-shirt, still still got the, the participation trophy. Um, and then also usually did South Africa tours as well um, during during the year. And I did one stint, one cap, I should say, for the for the women's team. And that was for a Olympic qualifier just before I left for the US. What's that, the full national team? You... Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I think that the, the challenge that the, the Zim team has is that a lot of people go abroad. So a lot of... You know, a lot of the team will just come and practice for sort of a week or two before tournaments. It's quite hard to compete with some of the other other teams that are, you know, living and and practicing together. Mm. But uh, it was still nice to get that cap and play. I think it was in Kenya where we played the the qualifier games. How, how did that go? Did you get the win? <laughs> we got a win. We didn't get the win. We didn't get the uh, the qualification. I mean, it, it it it's quite tricky because South Africa is sort of miles ahead in in Africa in terms of 
competitiveness so they tend to usually get that qualifier without without a doubt but um but yeah it, it, it's still a, it's still a great experience so i think you said you went to boarding school uh so i'm assuming that academically you were pretty good you can uh, perhaps tell us if uh, if that's wrong and at the same time you're good at sports clearly so a bit of an all-rounder um so congrats on that um just tell us then, I mean, as a personality, it sounds like you're quite competitive, a bit of a high achiever. You've taken whatever you learned as, 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 a, as a youngster into the professional um, arena and you've ended up in real estate. So can you just take us on that journey, link link these things for us? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned with the, with the field hockey, it was a great avenue to get a scholarship to go to the U.S. Um, you know, the U.S., the college sports is, is very competitive, uh, especially on the men's sides, which then trickles down to having uh, funding available for, for women's sports. So, for example, at, at Colgate, they had a huge ice hockey team, which had a lot of funding that then trickled down to sports like field hockey, which maybe didn't get as many participation, but allowed funding for people like me to, to come through and get a full scholarship to play. That's on the sports side. So you ended up in America, mm-hmm. going to college, thanks to your sporting endeavours. But what about after that? Like, how did you now make the leap from that full-time education background into a career, which happens to be real estate? Yeah, exactly. Well, it was it was chance actually on a on a school board notice board in my junior year. Uh, you know, looking for, for applying for. Uh, positions. I saw something in commercial real estate finance, which was posted by Colgate alumnus, and was immediately drawn to it because at the time most of my peers were going into consulting um, and investment banking in New York and the city, and here was a commercial real estate finance job in Atlanta, nonetheless. So I was very intrigued by it because I had never thought about it as a as a finance job. I was studying economics, and um, immediately it's it's a lot more tangible, you know, like other finance careers where you're talking about derivatives or, or, or such things when you talk about real estate it's something that's very tangible um, something that we all experience every day and uh, whether we're living or where we're working or where we go for leisure to the movies so it was very tangible and I was very excited about it and so I applied and um, that's where I started with um, with Quadrant Real Estate Advisors so they're based out of Atlanta and I started out in loan asset management, um, which is actually a great learning ground because I was thrown in, given about 40 properties to manage from a loan perspective. So that meant really understanding the market and the fundamentals of each of those properties. And it ranged quite, quite, quite widely. So one of them was like a two and a half million, you know, shopping strip in Florida to, you know, a huge office building, you know, about 85 million in, in Boston. So it was a huge range of of asset classes and, and product types for a huge range of investors. Some of them were big, large insurance companies. Some of them were pension funds that wanted a little bit more risk or had higher risk appetite. So it was quite a range of assets. But again, I was very appreciable of having that as my first experience because I, I learned a lot about it. Just to the pause there, what year was this? I'm just trying so to this think. this was 2011. Right, so this is like three years after the global financial crisis. That's correct. You're looking after all these properties. Now, should I assume that these uh, these the loan book was some stressed in some ways or what was not the, not all of it actually of it? I mean that mm. was the so I was working predominantly on an insurance mandate and a lot of the time that was usually lower risk investments so lower LTV um, so they took quite pride in, in having fewer delinquencies was one of the measurements that we'd use for um, for measuring any loan stress <clears throat> that said they were you know one or two assets that you had to manage that weren't 
doing particularly well. For example, I think at a time, you know, the Vegas office market was doing well and at that time no longer was. And then we had an, an asset in that in that jurisdiction that needed a little bit more hands-on management because it just took a little bit more to, to, to relet. So you just needed to, to monitor and make sure that they were keeping money aside to, to refurbish the space and relet um, as soon as space became available. So it just required a little bit more hands-on management with the, with the, with the sponsors or the borrowers. Um, but for the most part, I was, you know, I was also earlier on in my career. So there was a team that was called the real, the, you know, the REO team, which meant real estate owned team that probably managed more intensive um, distressed assets. Luckily, they didn't throw the, uh, the first year, an- first year analyst into that pool, <laughs> but um, got a little bit of experience with the assets I was managing. So, okay. And how long were you with this uh, company for and what happened next? Long time. So about seven years. Oh, so I was yeah. first in Atlanta for two years. And then about 2013, you know, Quadrant, well, the CEO could right at the time recognize the capital gap that was happening here. You know, at that time, there was a lot of regulation being introduced mm. to the banks and limiting the amount that they could lend, uh, which opened up the door for a variety of alternative lenders. Um, especially from the U.S. because they, you know, insurance companies were already quite established lenders, whereas here the banking market was dominating. And so we moved over. I, uh, luckily, you know, sitting over there in Atlanta was given the given the nod <laughs> to, to, to move across. And that's where I made that transition from loan asset management to origination. And it was quite different. So where I was in loan asset management for a sort of core investment insurance company in the U.S., over here, we were working on behalf of a pension fund that wanted a little bit more yield. And so that went more construction um, on resi for sale, student housing and offices and mezzanine finance. So it was a totally different end of the spectrum and quite exciting because um, we sort of took an earlier view on, on Ireland. At the time, there weren't that many alternative lenders doing construction lending specifically in Ireland. And, uh, you know, to Kurt's credit, he, he, you know, he saw that as a great opportunity and we ended up doing a lot of a lot of great transactions in that space. Um, you say that uh, you kind of ended up in London just from uh, Atlanta, yeah. but I mean, come on, be, be, be honest. Was it that was that you thinking, oh my God, I've got a chance to now work in Europe. I've just done North America. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really subtle, but like say this could be one for me. <laughs> or was it like literally email out of the blue, Laura? Um, you know, guess what? We yeah. we've decided that we need to send you to London now. What? How did like? How did it happen, actually? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I mean, predominantly, you know, if I, if I'm honest, at the time I was, you know, the Zimbabwean sitting in the office in Georgia, <laughs> and so I think, you know, when the CEO was saying, "Who do I send?" <laughs> I was maybe a natural fit as someone that had, you know, jumped from Zimbabwe to the U.S. had also studied abroad in Australia. I think the um, Kurt had seen me as a natural fit for someone who he could plop in a different country. Um, who might be able to adapt quite well um, in a new environment. So, um, yeah, in a way, it it lent itself from from what I'd done in the past uh, for them to see see it as an opportunity that I can flourish. And just to pause there also, uh, thinking about your family back home in Zimbabwe, um, I'm quite fascinated to to understand things uh, about your father, for example, because mm-hmm. he was a, a businessman, mm-hmm. and you could let us know in a second what he did. He ultimately achieved his dream, from what I understand in our previous conversations. I want to know about that as well. But by the way, were you the first kind of in your your whole clan to yeah. start going international? Now you're an international <laughs> businesswoman, yeah. you know? So <laughs> I wish I could say I was. So I'm actually the youngest of nine. Um, so before me was my sister who went to Marquette uh, in the U.S. She ran track and field as well. 
um, and she was more in the medical space. So she's now a physiotherapist in the US. So I can't say I'm the first international. Before then, I had other siblings that went to South Africa. I'm a brother that played rugby at um, University of Pretoria. Um, so they were mostly in South Africa. So my sister was the first to the US and, and I followed. But naturally, I'm the, I'm the youngest. So oh, you're the youngest? <laughs> I'm the youngest. Ah, and all this sporting pedigree as well. You could almost start your own team, couldn't you? <laughs> probably, probably. Good, good netball team. How many people on the netball team? I have no idea, but uh, you could... I think the Denengas could produce, a, a, you know, an award-winning team, probably, a trophy-winning team. Uh, but now, what about your father? I mentioned, I, I hinted that, you know, uh, he was in business. What did he do? And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily anything to do with real estate, was it? And did, you, did he inspire you in any way? Yeah, I mean, actually, um, it was real estate in a way. Um, he started out, you know, very humbly out in the outskirts, um, having with tuck shops um, out in the outskirts, about five hours out of Harare. And he gradually grew that. So that was before independence, then after independence, he gradually grew that into having successful grocery um, franchises. So he had spa, I think. I've seen a lot of spas in Ireland. I don't see them as many in the UK. But, yeah, um, no, we've, we we've have got them a few. here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. convenience, convenience, convenience shopping. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So he had a few of those in the city. And in his 60s, believe it or not, he sold it all and decided to pursue his, what was the lifelong dream of him to be a commercial farmer. Um, <clears throat> and that's sort of now that the family legacy, my, my brother still runs, runs the farm that he, he started. And um, so he's definitely an inspiration in terms of just that entrepreneurial spirit and drive. And, you know, even to, to 60 while I'm a working age person to, to start a whole new career uh, was definitely very inspirational. Hats off to him. Yeah. I'm 50 now. I think I'm probably never going to be able to retire. Let's let's be absolutely honest. <laughs> Can show you some farming. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so okay, so so you're in London now. You're working in uh, you're in debt origination. You said um, just tell us some of the the companies that you 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 worked for after that. Yeah, absolutely. So I worked with Quadrant um, just before the pandemic. I joined um, Allianz Real Estate, and so they're the dedicated insurance manager for for Allianz uh, company. Well, actually, they just rebranded to Pimco Prime. Real I know. Estate. I should say. I know they did. And I, it was great because that allowed me to now expand from what was UK and Ireland focus, a quadrant, to now a more pan-European role and executing across the continent. And I was involved in some great projects that, you know, involved a lot of placemaking, which I loved, um, in the office space, and then a, a lot of great logistics construction. Oh, we love placemaking here <laughs> at the ULI. Can you, what, what, what kind of things did you work on? Um, so I worked on a office regeneration project in the Netherlands. And I've also worked on a large-scale office development in Victoria. Uh, what was the what's the Dutch scheme? What was the can you remember? Tripolis Park. Okay, I don't know that one. I should know. <laughs> and showing, uh, showing. the one in Victoria was uh, 105 Victoria Street. Okay, lovely. Which brings me to where I am now. So I joined Pigeon about six months ago, and that allowed me to sort of marry the origination that I was doing at Quadrant and the execution I was doing at Allianz to, to have that role at both. At PGM, which is you know one of the big, the biggest uh, debt investment managers, I think globally they have about 110 billion of AUM in the debt space, and all under one roof across all the sectors. So from core debt, which I'm actually predominantly focused on here, um, but all the way up to the risk spectrum, including mezzanine and preferred equity and construction, sort of the high yield um, debt spectrum. So under one roof, having all of those asset classes is, is fantastic and being able to marry the origination and the underwriting has been great. Now, a little bird told me that along the way in your career, 
you started to get uh, kind of invested almost uh, personally and emotionally in the green side of real estate. And of course, now we've all seen what's happened with green loans, the expansion of that. Uh, I believe this has something to do with um, Zimbabwe again. Uh, Something happened and you put two and two together and this has kind of inspired you along the way in in sort of sustainability and ESG, etc. Yeah, I think you're referring to, so in 2019, there was a huge cyclone that hit Mozambique and Zimbabwe. So then in Zumbabwe alone, it caused about a thousand deaths and about two, two billion worth of damage. And I think that hit home, you know, literally and figuratively the effects of, of, of climate change. And as as you know, you know, the statistics are that real estate sector or the industry itself contributes about 40% of the global um, carbon emissions. And so quite attuned now to to the effect and the impact that we can have within our industry on on climate change and specifically on on lending Uh, a lot of the time as a lender you don't have the direct um, control as as a borrower would but the practices that we implement could certainly contribute to to mitigating that climate change in the future so just on that then uh, is climate change uh, sort of almost coming into your conversations when it comes to loan origination on a day-to-day basis or is it something that's kind of low-key running in the background and like practically how mm-hmm. does it actually feed into into the work into the ultimately into the agreements and so on and so forth i'd love to i'd love to know a little bit about that to be honest yeah absolutely i mean every every opportunity that we comes across our desk that we review you know we're attuned and it's one of the first questions that we ask is what are the emissions of this building today or what are what are, what kind of works will you be implementing going forward for the emissions of that building in the future? Are there works that the sponsor can do to to improve that going forward? Um, and it's also going on in in the background in terms of something more programmatic. So it's not as straightforward to um, have a programmatic view on green lending. Uh, we have seen some lenders, you know. Uh, subscribe to specific green lending principles and so in all of their loan documentation they will have specific reporting requirements when it comes to to data related to the property Um, but it's not as straightforward because not all investors return requirements marry yet with what it takes to provide a green loan so at the moment it's it's not uniform it's still evolving but a lot of it is heading in the right direction. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next, Lloyd. What, what, in reality, because we hear a lot about how people are making great strides in this area, but yes, here you are and you can tell us on the, on the practical level, in reality, uh, perhaps they're not all absolutely ready yet with their strategies. And when it comes to the actual detail, they may not actually know that yet. Is that okay with someone like you? Like, what, How do you move, move things forward from there? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you just recognize that it's it's something that, at least it's the direction of travel, it's something that all the investors are working towards. It's just making it practical for your existing loan book and also investor return requirements. And I think it'll it'll marry itself well in the future because at some point it will be binary. You know, you will have tenants that just can't occupy buildings that do not meet a certain energy efficiency because of regulation. And so I think it'll it'll work itself out towards there in the future. It's just not as straightforward for a diverse pool of investors to, to make those commitments straight straight away. Yeah. So and do you detect that these uh these are whether it's uh, tenants, uh, landlords, those seeking to borrow from, are they under extreme pressure? Would you say to try and get their house in order, their strategies together? Uh, is there enough assistance and expertise out there to help them along in this journey? What ha- what needs to happen? Yeah, so I think the expertise. You're absolutely right. So 
a lot of firms are now hiring ESG specialists. So PGM has hired um, Julie Townsend from CBRE to, to head up that strategy for us in Europe. Um, and so as you have that expertise in-house. You also have green uh, consultants that can help, for example, as a lender, we implement the green principles within our loans. We want to receive all this data, but I couldn't necessarily process all the data related to building efficiency. So now there's consultants that have now created divisions just for green assessment and consultancy in order to assist lenders like us to review the data and understand the data um, and be able to actually tick off that, yes, the the, the sponsor is in compliance with, 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 with green lending. Yeah, so interesting because we hear so much about greenwashing. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned yourself regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK, I think we have our own version coming through quite soon. There's consultation taking place, isn't there, with SDR. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? I don't know how long it's going to take for people to get to where they, they need to be, but I, I, I guess we're talking, well, certainly months, years. I'm not sure. Yes, I mean, for, for certain asset classes, for example, you know, offices, you, there's already a date um, to to have your EPC ratings of a certain building. So then that's within the next, I think it's 2025 is when the next regulation hits. So it's quite imminent, actually, that um, borrowers will need to, to refurbish their buildings to be in compliant. Um, and then you you know you are seeing other investors. We've been man- we've managed to make those kind of commitments on the equity side, where we want to have our portfolio have zero um, zero net carbon emissions by twenty fifty. And so you are seeing those kind of commitments and targets being set by by companies, which is also very encouraging. So, Laura, sitting here listening to you. Uh, uh, speak. I can, I can. Congratulations on you know your your latest role, and you, I think you've had promotions along on the way. I can see. I can see kind of how that is. We on this podcast series, we want to help some of the younger people and the okay. professionals try and develop their career as well <laughs> as well as you seem to have done so far. Now, when I've spoken to former employers of yours and actually colleagues about you, they've been very complimentary. Uh, I have to say, I won't embarrass you by repeating like verbatim everything they've said. But what they've mentioned is, oh, she's uh, you know one thing. To, to know about Laura, she has a great sense of humour, right? Of course, you know she has uh, profound. Profound was the word used. Profound professional experience. Uh-huh. Uh, she's team orientated. She's driven. She's great at building networks. Apparently, okay. So yes, you can tell me if you, if you recognise any of those descriptions, but also. Yeah, I mean, is there some advice that you can give to people if they want to progress their career in real estate? Whether, of course, it's loan origination, it could be on the equity side, it could be anything to do with real estate. What What are the things that you've learned that you think could be absolutely vital for younger people to make it in this in this business? Well, well, well thanks for for saying some of those um, those things. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I would say because with with real estate, it's quite a versatile. Um, it requires a lot of versatility. It's a versatile position. So if you're, whether you're on the equity side or the debt side, there's the the relationship aspect of either you're, if you're on the equity side, perhaps you're speaking to planning permission, pl- planners for your planning permission, or you're speaking to investment agents, or you're speaking to a tenant. Um, if you're on the lending side, obviously we're speaking to borrowers, but we also speak to our consultants, as I mentioned to you. So people are always circled in and around the industry it's very difficult to avoid them um so anything that you can do um as a young person to to improve on those interpersonal skills um would always be would always be encouraged and 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 it's helpful within the industry 
Um, and also very earlier on doing something very detail oriented, getting in the weeds, something very analytical. Um, so you might find you could start, you know, in a graduate scheme at a, at a, at a valuer um, and really understand the fundamentals of real estate and, and how to actually, you know, underwrite a property and, and analyze a property. Um, the more detailed the experience you have earlier on, the better, because it gives you a great foundation to, 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 to bounce off of. And then the last thing I'd say is try and pick something that's a little bit more broad, a little bit less specialized in the beginning. Again, just to give you that broader experience and then start to specialize a little bit later on, whether it be trying to find a position where you can look across the, the asset classes um, and then perhaps later on specialize within multifamily or something like that, just to give you a little bit of a, of a broader foundation at the beginning. Right. OK, that's fascinating advice. OK, fair enough. Um, and I think in a way, many people could be quite glad to hear that, because if you heard the opposite, like, oh, you must decide early. Oh what you must specialise in, otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. And that's kind of a bit of a frightening scenario, <laughs> to be honest. No, and I uh, maybe it's you know nature of uh, the education I had. I went to what was called liberal arts schools, and they didn't allow you to pick a major until your third year. And everyone had to learn the same thing for two years because they believed firmly that the broader your, your understanding, the more you can adapt and, and analyse each situation for its own instead of sort of being spoon-fed so that the analysis is more of a teach a man to, to fish and not to give them a fish um, yeah. and I think that ties in quite well with, with with what you're saying about you know not specializing too early and maybe getting that broader understanding of things and just one other thing that occurred to me you you talk about you know maybe it's great if you are good at getting into the weeds into the details of things and then speaking to you I, you know you seem to be very accomplished on the on the you know the, the, the communication side now i don't know if that's all come if both of those things have come like naturally to you but what if you're not a natural at communication what if you're not particularly social you're going into sort of network events uh, what if you're not even particularly great at detail, but you feel like you've got to work on them? Is, is there anything that you did to build up in these areas um, or anything that you've noticed out there to help people along where they feel like that that's not their strong point, but they want to get better? Yeah, absolutely. Them? I mean, I think I was I was always uh, surprised and I, I hope he won't um, be, be annoyed at me for mentioning. But, you know, the, the first uh, CEO that I ever worked with, he would practice even before a pitch and he was... Um, you know, the smoothest <laughs> presenter I'd ever seen in my life. So to hear that he was still practicing blew my mind. And so I think there is still practice and, and preparation that goes um, towards, towards you know, a foundation or even no foundation of, of, of communication or presentation skills. Um, the more you, and the more you do it, you know, the more you practice, the, the, the easier it becomes and the more natural it becomes, like, like riding a bike, I suppose, and... Not to say that I'm at all perfect or anything, but um, it's become easier over time. Yeah, practice. I, I, you know, I'm not going to go into details now, but yeah, and perhaps uh, I, I completely echo that. If I think about in this industry, oftentimes, you know, there'll be panel discussions, and I'm seeing more and more younger people asked to take take part, and they uh, they do a great job, to be honest. But when when I've done those things, uh, I've had occasions where I come off and they say, "Oh my God, Robin, you, you know, that was so good. You seem you, you seem so happy and confident to be up there. Oh my God, if only they'd seen me the night before." You know, yeah. it, it it is you know from my perspective, it is about a little bit of preparation and um, and definitely practice. So you know what you said there, I completely related with mm -hmm. um, absolutely for sure. Now, just as we uh, get towards the end of our time together, just a, a little question about. 
um, it's along the same veins, really, in okay. terms of inspiration and, mm. and learning. We love to know what people are listening to when it comes to podcasts <laughs> oh, okay. or uh, maybe reading. Is there anything that you, you have seen, read or listened to, whether it's habitually or just one-offs, that you think that you want to share with us today and that people perhaps can copy or at least look into? Yeah, I mean, uh, so for the against my better judgment, I signed up for a for a half marathon in April. So at the moment, I'm doing long runs on Sundays, Ooh, and I've been listening ouch. to <laughs> very ouch. <laughs> um, don't ask me why, but so I've been listening to a podcast called The Hidden Brain, which I find quite interesting. Um, you can, can classify it as sort of human behavior podcast, but told in a very engaging way, very interesting storytelling. But I think it's I've found it very interesting. And, um, you know, they'll talk about things like persuasion and human, you know, negotiation and, um, you know, could even be, you know, ha- happiness, whatever it is. But it's it's told in a very scientific and engaging way. So I've been enjoying that one. Um, I've just made you can see me taking a note of this right now. I'm going to, I'm looking into it. I'm, I'm going to get onto that. Um, and this is someone that struggles to, you know. Well, you know, an hour and a half. So to be able to listen to that every week so far, it must be pretty decent. <laughs> when, when is your half ma- marathon taking April. place? Which and one is it? In, it's in, London? in Berlin. Berlin? Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready to, I think I can complete it. You know, there won't be any records broken or anything like that. But I'm feeling okay to, to cross the line. <laughs> Excellent. May I wish you well for that event. and But also, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I've really thank enjoyed you very much, it. Robert. Thank you. Appreciate it as well. Thank you.